Hello, ladies, and welcome West Campus. Thank you for joining me today as we continue our study in Acts. Uh, I'm Deb Haygood, part of the Women in the Word uh, teaching team, and it is a great joy and privilege to be here with you all studying the Word of God. And how exciting this book of Acts is. Um, in Acts, we see the birth of Christianity. Each week, more coming um, to believe in Jesus, joining the body of Christ, joining the family of God. And we get to watch the church grow and flourish. You know, birth is always exciting. Um, oh, I want to say, five more weeks, and it's going to get better and better. So you don't want to miss it. You don't want to drop out early from this, because each week I've looked ahead is better than the last. So stick in here for five more weeks and finish up Acts with us. Talking about the birth of Christianity, birth is always exciting. And as a newborn nurse in labor and delivery, every time I go to work, I get to see babies born. And it's exciting. Uh, a while back, I met a new mom, and she named her baby Journey. And I loved that. I thought that was cool, Journey. And I said, we are all on a journey, a life journey. And those of us that walk with Jesus on our life journey, we have purpose and meaning. And our journey is filled with some exciting stories. One of the exciting stories and great blessings in um, my life journey was to be able to go to Tanzania with the women's leadership team. Now, Shelly talked about this a couple week, weeks ago, um, the first trip to Dar es Salaam. We arrived without our luggage. I was on that trip, and it was a great blessing. You know, I love the women in Tanzania. They are beautiful, and they love the Lord Jesus, and they're very generous people. And we were fortunate and um, blessed to be able to go back four more times to Tanzania. And the women are the same, but in the different cities, they're also a little different like the cities are. So the second time we went to Same, it was up north. It was by Mount Kilimanjaro up in the hills. And these women were uh, poor and rural, and they came down from the hills to join the conference. But they were so eager to take any learning from the word back to their churches. The third trip was to Zanzibar. It's an island off Tanzania, and it is highly populated with Muslims. Um, the Christian women there have a very difficult life, even some persecution. We met one lady who's, um, when she believed in Jesus, her husband put her out of the family, away from her children. She was on her own, and she sewed little bags um, to help support herself. Our fourth trip was to Mwanza. Mwanza was a beautiful city. It's called the City of Rocks. It's on the western part of Tanzania by Lake Victoria. And um, Mwanza has these amazing rock formations that defy gravity. You see the hand and the power of God in Mwanza. But these women were a little wary of us because other um, groups that called themselves Christian had come and they had really presented a false doctrine to them. So they were listening intently to see if we spoke from the word of God. And our fifth time was to Bagamoyo. Uh, it was a town on the coast of the Indian Ocean and many churches were represented at that conference. Um, those women were sweet. Many of them were young. And not too long ago, I got a message through Facebook from one of the young gals that was an interpreter in my group. Her name was Teddy. And as I prayed for her, I thought, Lord, how are the other women in Tanzania doing? And then it came to me, that's exactly how Paul was thinking when he begins his second missionary journey. So let's turn to chapter 16. We're going to look at that today. 
And it's uh, several chapters. There's a lot here. But I want us to look at the different people that Paul is going to meet in the different cities. Because Paul is all about the people. He cares about these people. And I want us to uh, see what we can learn from Paul's life. From his actions and his attitudes and his approaches that we can apply for our own life journey. Because we are always on a life journey. Um, a little background, we talked last week about that purpose for this second missionary journey. Um, we just said that. It was Paul um, had said to Barnabas, let's go back and check on the new believers from our first missionary trip and see how they're doing. Um, that is in 15, verse 36, if you want to check that out. Um, we also learned last week from Amy that Paul and Barnabas then had a disagreement over John Mark. Paul didn't want to take John Mark, and Barnabas, the son of encouragement, said, let's give him a second chance. So they split up and go their separate ways, and Paul um, takes Silas as his partner. And this was a wise choice. Silas was a wise choice. We met Silas last week at the Jerusalem Council, and he is going to be an official representative from the Jerusalem Church to take the decision of the Jerusalem Council to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas and another representative named Judas Barsabas. And let me just remind you of the decision that they came to at the council. Um, They decided that they would not burden the Gentiles, believers, with requiring circumcision. You might remember Paul, I mean Peter stood up and he said, salvation is by grace through faith in Jesus alone. Alone, that's it. No other works. Salvation is by grace through faith in Jesus alone. So they're not going to require any other works for salvation. We don't need to add anything to it. So they're going to take this decision to the churches. And on the way to Antioch, Paul gets to know Silas. He finds out Silas, like Paul, was also a Roman citizen. This is going to come into play in the weeks to come here. He also was a prophet. We learned that in verse 32. And I want to read that. Verse 32 of chapter 15 says, And Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. So we see that Silas is already being used in a mighty way by God. Another thing, he was known and liked in Antioch. He was commended along with Paul to begin this second missionary journey. And he knew Greek. We know that because he helps Paul write some of his letters, and he also helps Peter write 1 Peter. And I don't have it on your verse sheet, but you can check it later. 1 Peter 5.12 talks about Silas um, helping him to write this letter. So Silas was a wise choice. He was a godly choice for a partner. The director of the second missionary journey, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is all throughout this journey, and we're going to talk about him a little more in just a minute. So let's start with verse 1 and let the journey begin. Paul came also to Derby and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. We see here in verse 4 a second purpose for the journey, and that was to deliver the decision from the Jerusalem council to these cities that Paul and Silas would visit. 
And with this wise decision, we see here the church is strengthened uh, in its faith and it grows and it flourishes. So Paul and Silas come to Derby and to Lystra and Iconium, and these are three cities that are in Galatia. Now, Paul first came here with Barnabas on his first missionary journey. And by the way, he has already written a letter back to them, and that is the book of Galatians in the New Testament. So they come to this city and they meet Timothy. They may have met Timothy before because we know that he is a a young believer. He may have become a believer on Paul's first missionary journey. Let me remind you what happened in Lystra. Do you remember? Paul did many miracles in Lystra. And this is also where he was stoned and then recovered. Timothy may have been a part. He may have seen all of that the first time around. We also know Timothy has a godly mother and grandmother that tells us this in the scriptures I have on your verse sheet, 1 Timothy, I mean 2 Timothy, um, Paul is writing to Timothy and he says this, I have been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So Timothy had a godly mother and a godly grandmother that taught him the scriptures. Good thing to bear in mind. Um, he, Timothy's all, also well thought of. He had a good reputation. And Paul sees potential in him. And he wants to take Timothy along with him as his assistant. But first, Timothy is circumcised. Okay, so some of you are saying, what is that all about? I thought we just had the Jerusalem Council decide that wasn't necessary. So why is Timothy being circumcised? Well, Timothy is half Jewish. And so to be circumcised would be helpful when they go to um, the Jews in other cities in the future. He, he would avoid becoming a stumbling block to them. So circumcision was not necessary for Timothy's salvation, but it was important for his service not to offend the Jews, if at all possible. Timothy is circumcised. He goes with Paul as his helper, and he becomes dearly loved by Paul. Paul thinks of him as his son. And from this point on, Timothy is going to be very much involved in kingdom work. I have another verse where um, Paul is writing to the Philippians, and he says this about Timothy. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel, dearly beloved by Paul. I have two applications for this little section here. First, choose godly wise partners. Whether it's a partner for marriage or it's someone you're going to join up with to do ministry or a partnership in work, whatever the partnership is, uh, make wise partnerships with godly people. And secondly, take time to walk alongside a young believer. There's always a younger believer out there. Take time to give them your time, your wisdom, your support, your encouragement, your understanding of God's word. I uh, have a gal on Thursday night that came up to me a couple weeks ago and she said that she was going to be involved in her young niece's spiritual lives. And so she was meeting with them on a regular basis and they would read Bible stories, they're little, and she would talk to them about Jesus. She wanted to invest in their faith journey. I have another sweet friend who just moved to Oklahoma. She wanted to be by her grandchildren because she wanted to watch them grow up and to walk alongside them and to pour into them her uh, belief and faith and knowledge of Jesus. 
So take time to pour in to someone else. Proverbs 3.20 tells us, 13.20 tells us this. Love this verse. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Make wise partnerships so you can walk with the wise and then be that wise person for a younger believer. Let's go on with verse uh, 6 um, through 10. We're going to see the Holy Spirit here. Um, those first couple verses, he's forbidding them, Paul and Silas, to uh, speak in Asia. And then they come up to Mycenae. They want to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit does not allow it. And so in verse 8, we read this. Passing by Mycenae, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Now, when you see the pronoun we there, that means that Dr. Luke, the author of Acts, is with them. And we also very clearly see the Holy Spirit directing this journey. He's saying, don't go here, Paul, Paul's first thought. Instead, go here, go on to Macedonia, which is Europe. And now the gospel is going to be taken to Europe for the first time. So I want to start, stop just for a second and look at the map here with my handy dandy. Okay. Uh, this is where they're starting out, right here at Antioch. Then this purple line, they go up over land, and they get to these cities in Galatia, Derby, and Iconium, and Lystra. Then they go up, and here's where all this area, they're not allowed to speak. They get to Mycenae, and they sail over to um, Troas, and they're eventually going to end up in Philippi right there. So if you have your maps, you can look at that from now on. Um, we're going to leave that up there. So they go on to um, Philippi, and let's read what happens there in verse 12. And from there to Philippi, which is a leading city at the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony, we remained in the city some days. That means quite a while. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized in her household as well, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Philippi was a leading city in Macedonia. It was a port city and it's a Roman colony. Now that means it was considered part of Rome itself. Its people were Roman citizens. They had a Roman garrison stationed there and they were very proud of their Roman heritage. And there was probably no synagogue in Philippi. So Paul and Silas go outside the city to the river and there they speak to some women. And I love this part because we see no hesitancy from Paul and Silas to speak the good news to women. That is so significant for us. And who is the first European convert to Christianity? Lydia, a woman. Lydia is a seller of purple cloth. She was a wealthy businesswoman who knew God. She wasn't a Jewish convert or proselyte, but she worshipped the one true and living God. And after Paul tells her about Jesus, 
God moves her heart to believe in Jesus. And she's baptized, and then her whole household believes, and they're baptized. And then she really um, will not take no for an answer. She wants Paul and his friends to come stay at her house for the whole time there in Philippi. And this, by the way, now is Timothy, Silas, Dr. Luke, Paul. So it's quite a group. But she wants them in her house. She is generous, and she is hospitable. The next verses here, starting in uh, 16, are about a slave girl. And I just want to tell you about that. You've read it. Um, This is a slave girl who was possessed by a demon. And she told fortunes and earned a lot of money for her owners. And so she would see Paul every day walking to the river. And she would follow him. And she would call out, verse 17 tells us, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. Now, this was true, what she was saying, which tells us that Satan and his demons know Jesus, but they don't accept him. In fact, they're in rebellion against him. And Paul does not want her demonic activity, which is prophecy for profit, to be associated with the gospel truth. So he commands the demon to depart. And he does, and she is freed of demon possession. What a great thing for this slave girl. She is no longer possessed by a demon. But her owners care nothing about her well-being or the fact that she's no longer demon-possessed. In fact, they're infuriated because now they have a loss of income. For them, they care all about the money. She was their cash cow, and now she's gone. And so they're infuriated, they're angry, and this leads um, Paul and Silas being taken to the... um, Uh, officials and there they are beaten severely with rods and thrown into prison and it says an inner prison so it's not just prison but it is into a deep dark dungeon and their feet are fastened with stocks and what is their response what's their response to that now let's think for a moment the holy spirit had told them led them to go to philippi and so they do and now they are unjustly beaten and imprisoned How would you respond to that? You know, I didn't want to think very long about how I might respond to that. But let's see how they respond. Verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. They were praising God. They were praying and singing hymns after this. That is their response. They're not whining or complaining or saying, what if we had just gone on to Asia or if only that slave girl, none of that. They are praising God and singing and the prisoners are listening. And that word there for listening means listening intently. They are leaning in, trying to catch every word of praise and prayer that Paul and Silas are lifting up to the Lord. And then let's see what happened next. Verse 26. Suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. And when the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, do not harm yourself. We are all here. 
So we see the Holy Spirit here in the um, mighty power of an earthquake. I don't know where it is on the Richter scale, but it was um, big enough to shake, jar the foundations of the prison. All the doors are open and their chains are freed and the jailer sees this and he is going to kill himself because when a prisoner escaped in those days, the jailer got the sentence of that prisoner and sometimes they were just executed for failing at their job. But Paul stops him and says, we are all here. We're all here. And so the jailer gets um, some light and he rushes in and he falls down before Paul and Silas. And he says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? He has heard the praises from Paul and Silas and he's seen the power of God. And he wants to know what to do to be saved. And they say to him in verse 31, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your household. Now, when I was a young girl, I loved this story. In fact, I memorized Acts 16.31. I loved it because it was concise and it was simple. And you said, how are you saved? And you, uh, the answer is, believe on the Lord Jesus and thou shalt be saved in thy household. I love that verse. Now, um, what does that mean, and thy household? Okay, the jailer's belief did not save his household. It means that, and your household can come and hear the news of Jesus, and they too can believe. And that's what they did, and we know that because it goes on to tell us that they are all baptized. And what is the jailer's response? It says, then he brought them up into his house, and he set food before them, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. The jailer rejoices. The result of salvation is joy. So often that is the very truth. The result of salvation is joy. Paul um, loves to talk about rejoicing, and he has a verse that he uh, sends to back to these Philippians at a later time on your verse sheet. Philippians uh, 4, 4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I will say rejoice. Rejoicing is good. The next day, Paul and Silas are set free, and before they go back to Lydia, uh, go on, they stop in at Lydia's and they encourage and strengthen the believers there. And I'm sure they were filled with rejoicing when they saw him. They told him about what had happened um, with the jailer and the power of God. How this would have strengthened these young believers. How it would have encouraged their faith as Paul and Silas were about to leave them. The application I have here is that through your journey of good times and difficult times... God can use your testimony to bring others to a saving faith in Jesus. Whether your story is with words or whether it's in actions, God can use your testimony to save others. You know, maybe it is praising God in the midst of a difficult uh, time. Maybe it's just walking faithfully day by day with the Lord Jesus and rejoicing along the way and others see that. God can use our testimony Let's continue on um, as they go to Thessalonica and Berea. And we read about that in chapter 17. Starting in verse 1, we see they pass through a couple of towns and they come to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead. 
and saying, This Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women. I love how Dr. Luke always says, not a few. That means many, and many women of uh, influential high standing. So they go to Thessalonica, and Thessalonica is another very important city in Macedonia. It's a center for business. It had an excellent harbor. It's predominantly Greek, but controlled by Rome, but it was a free city. It had no Roman garrison, and they had a synagogue. And so Paul goes to the synagogue three weeks in a row on the Sabbath, and it says he reasons with them from the scriptures. Now, they would have been... um, reading from the Old Testament. So Paul starts there with what they know and he discusses the scriptures and then he explains and that means he opens up the truth of these prophecies proving that the Messiah, the Greek word for Messiah is Christ, that the Christ had to be put to death and raised from the dead. He's talking about the resurrected Jesus, that indisputable fact that is foundational throughout the book of Acts. The resurrection is so important because the resurrection of Jesus is the heart of Christianity. So Paul is always talking about the resurrected Jesus. Their response, some believe. Only some Jews believed. But it says many devout Greeks, these would be Greeks that um, were not Jewish converts, but they worship the one true God, and also some influential women. So once again, we see that Paul is sharing the gospel with women. Now let me just explain real quickly. The synagogues were buildings that women could go in. Now they couldn't go in the front door with the men, but they could go in a side door, and then at the back of the synagogue, up in like a little gallery, they could sit and listen to what was being said. So there were, these women probably went into the synagogue, and they heard Paul as he explained the scripture. And they became believers. But the verse is going to tell us that there were some jealous Jews and they would be stirring up trouble for Paul and Silas. In fact, they um, go to the house of Jason. He was hosting them. Um, They can't find Paul and Silas, so they just drag Jason in front of the magistrates. And this is the accusation that they make. Verse, um, middle of verse 6. These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And Jason has received them. And they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And the people and the city authorities were disturbed. You know, they take them before the magistrates and they make this accusation. And there really is some truth in this because Christianity does change the world. It's not just a religion. It is a relationship with um, a mighty, living, sovereign God. And Jesus is king. Although his kingdom is not political, it's spiritual. These pagans would not have understood that. And so they were troubled. But Jason, uh, he must have been a wealthy man. He posts bail for them. And then that night, they send Paul and Silas away down the road to Berea. Now, Berea is about 45 miles from Thessalonica. And um, Thessalonica was about 100 miles from Philippi. So they're going along on the Ignatius Road to these places. And so they land in Berea. And where do they go? Verse 10 tells us they went into the Jewish synagogue. 
Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them therefore believed with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. So we see that Paul does the same thing in Berea. Paul and Silas go to the synagogues and they talk to um, the Jews there. But these Jews are more noble. Why? Because they're eagerly examining the word of God. They're studying the scriptures every day to see if Paul's message is true. And the result is that many come to believe in Jesus along with many Greek men and women. I love this because um, we can read the word of God every day. In fact, on your verse sheet, I have Psalm 119. I'm not going to read those verses, but I want you to read them later. It talks all about the word of God. It's a great psalm to read and to meditate on. Because the application for me in this section is that throughout our journey, we should examine the word of God every day. We should study it and read it and memorize it and meditate on it. We want God's story, God's truth poured into our hearts and lives so that it's woven into every aspect of our journey. Let's read the word of God every day. So we see they um, continue on because we've got these jealous Jews from Thessalonica showing up, causing trouble again. And so this time they put Paul on a boat and he sails off to Athens while Silas and Timothy stay a little longer in Berea, probably um, strengthening the church and teaching the believers. So let's read in verse 16 uh, what happens with Paul as he is alone in Athens. Now, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. Athens, it's a city in Greece now, it was a city filled with idols. These are statues of false man-made gods, and they are everywhere, and it broke Paul's heart. Um, Barclay, in his commentary, said this about Athens. It was a city of many gods. And it was said that there were more statues of the gods in Athens than in all the rest of Greece put together. And that in Athens, it was easier to meet a god than a man. Can you imagine how many statues of these idols there were? There were more of them than men in Athens. That is incredible. And it broke Paul's heart. He was sad and he was distressed and deeply troubled over it. So what does he do? Verse 17 tells us, So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. So where do we see Paul? He goes to the synagogue and he talks to the Jews. And then he goes to the marketplace and he talks with whoever that he finds there. And he talks to the philosophers, the Epicureans and the Stoics. And what does he tell them? 
He tells them about Jesus and the resurrection. The same message. Jesus and the resurrection. Now Athens is really um, a good place for him to be because they were thinkers and philosophers and they had time on their hands to stand around and talk and discuss these different thoughts and philosophies. And so they were interested in what Paul had to say. Now two of these... um, philosopher groups were the Epicureans and the Stoics. Now the Epicureans, they were um, the materialists. They believed that everything happened by chance. They were either atheists or if they did believe in the gods, they thought they were very distant and not involved. They didn't care with mankind. They thought death was the end of everything. So pleasure was their chief purpose. Pleasure. Now, the Stoics, on the other hand, they were the pantheists. They thought God was in everything. And it was their job to align themselves with this great purpose. And it took self-discipline and self-control and self-denial to do this. And they also thought of themselves as being self-sufficient because they thought they were kind of masters of their destiny. So the Epicureans, they would say, enjoy life. And the Stoics would say, endure life. And then Paul comes on the scene and he's saying, have life, have eternal life through Jesus, life abundant, life to the full. It was great for Paul to be there preaching his message because they were listening and talking to him and they invite him to come to the Areopagus. Now the Areopagus was a place also called Mars Hills and it was also a council of men that were involved in overseeing certain areas of religion and education. So they bring Paul to the Areopagus before this council, and he's given this great opportunity to speak um, and explain his um, beliefs. He's an invited guest, and his opening is brilliant. I love it because Paul has taken time to look around and to see what's going on in their culture and in their city and what they think. And so he opens up um, with uh, something that gets their attention. It's complimentary and it's also inclusive. So they want to listen to him. So let's look and see um, this opening in verse 22. Paul says, men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. So before we go on and see what he proclaims to them, I want to talk a minute about that. I love this opening and I think it gives us great um, uh, ideas on how to approach the unbeliever. Now, he is going to begin his message about Jesus, but because these people didn't know anything about the Old Testament scriptures, he backs it up and begins talking about the God that we saw in Genesis. God, who is the creator and the provider and the sovereign God of the universe, who's over all mankind. It's God who cares about us and is involved in our life, provides us with a savior who will also judge us. So let's read and look at that, um, what he has to say. We're going to go on in verse 24. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. 
that sounds a lot like Genesis from last semester, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Now this would have been quite contrary to what the Epicureans believed, that God was very distant and didn't care about them. He goes on to say, being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. I love this. I think he says that in such a nice way. He's so kind to not say, so how ridiculous for you guys to make a bunch of little stone objects and call them God. No, he says, no, God is more than that. He, you don't create God. God created you. And then he goes on to say the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. So we see how he talks about Jesus here as the savior and as the judge who has risen from the dead. And the response we see in these next couple of verses, and it's very similar to the responses we get today. Some mock the good news of Jesus. Others procrastinate. They say, well, I'm interested, but we'll talk about that later. I'll listen to that after bed. And, but some believe. Some believe. In fact, one from the um, Areopagus believes, Dionysius. And then I love it. A woman believes and they even name her Damaris. And then some others. Some others believe. What is the application for this section? Along your journey, seek to understand others, their cultures, their worldviews, their circumstances and backgrounds. Try to find common ground so that you can share the hope that is within you, Jesus Get to know people. Get to know how they think and what um, they believe. You know, we talked about worldviews last semester, different worldviews, and we also talked about the biblical worldview. It's important for you to know what you believe and what you think. It's also important to know the scriptures, and that's why we're here today, studying the scriptures. One reason is so that we can better explain when someone asks for that hope within us, we can give them an answer. On your verse sheet, I have uh, 1 Corinthians 9. Paul says this, I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. He becomes all things to all people. And then 1 Peter 3.15, this is Peter saying, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Let's go on to Corinth, um, chapter 18. Let's read verse 1. After this, Paul left Athens and he went to Corinth and he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla. Uh, Drop down there, it says, and he went to see them and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and he tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. So Paul goes to Corinth. Corinth was a large city, and it had a reputation for being the most wicked city in all of the Roman Empire. In fact, it was so wicked, it had such a reputation that Plato, in his writings, will refer to a prostitute as a Corinthian girl. 
That's kind of sad. So um, Paul shows up here. He fi- he's alone still. He finds Priscilla and Aquila. They're tent makers, and he lives with them. Um, they're believers. We're not sure when they became believers, but we know from other scriptures that they are. Now, tent makers would cut and sew leather into tents, and their biggest buyer was the Romans because they would buy many tents for their soldiers. So Paul worked as a tent maker to earn his living. During the week, he would make tents, and then on the Sabbath day, he would go into the temple, and he would reason with them. He would tell them about Jesus, the Messiah. Now, we also know from a letter that Paul wrote to the Corinthians, he was tired when he got to Corinth. He was probably discouraged, both spiritually and physically drained. And I put that verse on your sheet, 1 Corinthians 2, 3, when he wrote back to the Corinthians, he said, and I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. Paul is discouraged. And so I see many ways in these next few verses how God would encourage Paul First, he encourages them with, um, he encourages Paul with Priscilla and Aquila. They must have been a great encouragement as he lived with them and worked with them. And then next in verse 5, we see Silas and Timothy arrive. That must have been an encouragement for him. And we think that they probably brought financial support because now we see that Paul is spending all of his time testifying to the Jews about Jesus. It says here that the Jews, though, became more um, opposed to him. They even reviled him, which means abused him. And to the point where he shook out his garments and he says to them, verse 6, your blood be on your own head. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and he went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. And Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his, with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. This is a dramatic gesture. We've talked about it before, shaking out his garments. It means he's even shaking the dust off from this rebellious um, synagogue. And he's going on to the Gentiles. And these Gentile believers must have been an encouragement for Paul. And then I see the greatest encouragement of all. And that is a vision where God speaks to Paul. Verse 9. Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. You know, what great encouragement that would be, God himself speaking to Paul. He encourages him with his word. He encourages him with his presence. He says, I am with you. And then he encourages him with his protection. He says, nothing will happen um, to you. And so these next verses... um, show that that's exactly what happens. And Paul is encouraged. He stays 18 months. And we see that God does protect him from any harm. You know, the encouragement that I see here is to look for the provision that God gives us through friends and coworkers, through his word, through his presence, and thank God for that encouragement that he provides. I've been taking some time this week to thank God for um, the godly women that he has put in my life to do ministry with. What a blessing that is. And um, also thanking God for my um, 
godly husband who encourages me. I uh, have had the opportunity to do ministry with my husband. We have, over the years, taught three-year-olds. And then we taught young marrieds for a time. That was a great... He actually taught. I just hung out with him. That was a great time in our life. Now we're doing marriage mentoring together. Um, you know, it's a great thing if you can do ministry with your husband. And I also have wanted to take time to thank God for his word because there is so much encouragement that I get from God from reading his word and also his presence. We know that God is always with us. I put two verses on your verse sheet. Hebrews 13, 5. This is a quote from the Old Testament. I will never leave you nor forsake you. And Jesus tells the disciples in Matthew 28, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So let's uh, finish up here. We just have a couple more uh, verses and we're going to see Paul and Silas setting sail and going home to Antioch. But first they're going to go through Ephesus and Jerusalem. Verse 18, after this, Paul stayed many days longer and then took leave of the brothers and he set sail for Syria and with him Priscilla and Aquila. Such a love and relationship, he takes Priscilla and Aquila along with him. As Centria, he had cut his hair for he was under a vow. Now, uh, we don't know exactly why he made a vow. It was probably, though, a Nazarite vow. And we read about that, learn about that in the book of Numbers, chapter 6. But he had made a vow, a, a personal one of devotion. Maybe it was for the protection that God had given him in Corinth. And so the end of the vow is marked by cutting his hair. And then he would complete the vow by going to Jerusalem and um, making some sacrifices at the uh, temple there. And so now we see Paul is kind of in a hurry to get to Jerusalem and get home to Antioch. Verse 19 says, and they came to Ephesus and he left them there, meaning Priscilla and Aquila. But he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. And when they asked him to stay for a longer period, he declined. But on taking leave of them, he said, I will return to you if God wills. And he set sail from Ephesus. When he landed at Caesarea, he went up when you go up, that means to Jerusalem, and he greeted the church and probably completed the vow. And then he went down to Antioch, his home base. He was in a hurry to get there um, because he probably found rest when he got to Antioch. They would have been very eager to hear about his journey. All the news from um, everything that he's done. And then that much-needed rest. You know, at the end of our journey, of our life journey, um, heaven is our resting place. We get to spend eternity with Jesus in glory. When I was a little girl, my grandmother used to sing this song with me. You probably know it. I'm not going to sing it, but the words, I've got a home in glory land that outshines the sun. I've got a home in glory land that outshines the sun. Look away beyond the blue. And the refrain, do Lord, oh do Lord, oh do remember me. Do Lord, oh do Lord. And as a little girl singing this song, I can remember fervently singing, do Lord, do Lord, remember me. Because I wanted to make sure Jesus was going to remember me and take me home to heaven. I wasn't much older until I realized that Jesus was not going to forget me. That he was going to always be with me and that one day I would spend eternity with him in heaven because he promises us that in John 14, verse 2. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? 
And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Dorothy says there's no place like home in the Wizard of Oz. And for believers, there is no place like home. Because home for us at the end of our life journey is glory land with Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are a mighty God and you are a good God. You love us. Father, thank you so much for our word that we can study the exciting journey of Paul and Silas and all the people they meet and how he deals with them, Father. And I pray, Lord, that you would give us wisdom as we look at your word, that we would know how to witness better to those that we meet in our daily lives. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for the way you love us. Lord, I pray a blessing on all these women as we go out now. And I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.